2: Good afternoon City Club members, students, educators, and community members joining us today. Welcome to the City Club of Cleveland. My name is Sudhi Ramesh. I'm a senior from Solon High School and the president of the Youth Forum Council. I would again like to welcome you all to our very first Youth Forum Council of the 2023-2024 to 2024 school year in a wonderful new location. Also, very quickly in front of you all, we have a little reference sheet where you can give your feedback. And if you're interested in joining our council, please put your email and we'll get back to you um, if you're interested. And back to our topic today. Today, we will be discussing a transformative topic, the integration of AI in educations. Since November 2022, the expansion of public AI use, notably ChatGPT, has revolutionized education. Like the pandemic's effect, this has kindled curiosity among educators, parents, students who are exploring how AI can reshape our learning. AI is currently redefining standardized testing and enabling personalized assessments and feedback. However, its implementation requires thoughtful consideration as it can exacerbate educational disparities, raising concerns with fairness, equity, and privacy. Our esteemed guests today, John Panza, associate professor at the Cuyahoga Community College, and Rennie Greenfield, librarian and instructional technologist at Hawken Upper School, are here to join us to explore AI's impact on education. And we have Nathan Callahan, our Youth Forum Council Vice President, who will moderate today's discussion. Together, we will delve into AI's profound impact on education and learning. Thank you all so much for being here to join us for this crucial conversation. Thank you.
3: All right, everyone. Thank you so much for being here. My name is Nathan Callahan, and I'm a junior at Hawkins School. So joining me with me today is Renny Greenfield. Um, Rennie is a librarian, instruction te- technologist, and teacher at Hawkins Upper School. He's deeply optimistic about the ways in which technology can make our world better and can connect us as humans. Additionally, uh, John Panza is an associate professor at English, of English at Cuyahoga Community College Eastern Campus and also serves as the campus honors coordinator. So, as a general question to both of you, so we've heard about AI in the news, we keep hearing about it. <laughs> what is it? Where are its dangers? What can you tell us?
1: Uh, um, sure, I, I think probably the first thing to focus on is what we're talking about today is mostly generative AI not general AI. Mm -hmm. Uh, General AI is a whole other thing. I actually had a senior last year convince me that in the next 30 years it could destroy civilization. Uh, (laughs) Not gonna set that aside because generative AI is what what we're talking about when we say ChatGPT. Large language models that are really just trying to predict the next logical word in the sentence based on your prompt. Um, And what's I think the key thing that we need to focus on is what, what are we feeding them? Uh, what data are they scraping? Uh, because I think that's going to indicate whether it's a, you know, a really godsend for education or something that's definitely going to get in the way. Right.
0: Well, and then beyond that, I think after it scrapes the information and draws it in, what is the application of it? How are people utilizing it? Whether it's in the classroom uh, in a productive manner or if it's in the classroom in what we would consider to be a non-productive
3: manner. So I think it cuts both ways. So to both of you, when was the last time that you used AI in your classroom in a college setting or in a high school setting? And what can you tell us from that? I used it about two weeks ago to demonstrate the evils
0: of ChatGPT. Um, actually, what I did was is I, I, I have a class, I teach a class on Sunday mornings for three hours. Um, I would say Sunday school with pans is not the best choice, but... Um, This class is a composition course where students are learning how to write standard college essays. Um, And I I asked the class, how many of you are aware of ChatGPT and only two students raised their hand out of 26. I think it speaks volumes about the day of the week, the age of the students who are much older. Um, And so I I demonstrated it. I I showed them, this is what it does. This is what it does. And I did it because I don't want them experimenting on their own without having at least a, a kind of idea of what it's all about. Um, They were terrified. They were terrified. The older students were genuinely terrified because they realized in uh, that immediate moment, the power of what it's able to do, whether it's answering questions or just straight up generating a text for you. Um, So in that sense, I demonstrated it. So that was only, like I said, two weeks ago.
1: I I would say from a slightly different angle, um, one reaction is to be terrified, another is to be super excited, which is what I am when I use this stuff. Uh, I teach an English seminar on magical realism. Uh, The students just did some creative short stories. Uh, Feedback is great. Peer review is one of the best processes we can give. Uh, So I told them all to open up uh, ChatGPT and use the following prompt. Say, uh, act as if you were a graduate level English professor and give me feedback on my story. Uh, And then had them all paste their stories in there and it gave amazing feedback. So before I ever had to see it, They've technically had feedback from an English professor uh, and the stories were a whole lot better than I've had in years past.
3: So Rennie, you just talked about this a little bit. So what are the uses of AI and what are the ethical considerations that we should take into account when we're talking about generative AI?
0: Oh, I was gonna say the English professor that analyzed the students' papers is not an English professor, uh, it's a bot. And I think we have to acknowledge that, that the system has emulated or aped, in a sense, what a professor would say. The problem with that is, is that that plays into all the cliches and stereotypes one would expect about what a professor would say. Mm -hmm. It might not be providing the kind of responses that professors, the individual professor in a classroom would be capable of offering the professional writer, the professional you know, professor. So in that sense, I think I would argue, yes, that's a great approach, but we have to temper that with to say, okay, that's great, but the feedback you receive from your, your peers might actually end up being stronger because it's more specific to the class you're in. Right. So in that, and, and, I, and so that would that, be my writing my writing professor hat, but I agree that it's exciting
1: it's exciting to me because it's been trained on trillions of sentences. Yeah. So it's not one English professor, no, it's- It's all. Of all the of the yeah. English professors yeah. that we have actually on the internet or wherever we've scraped that data. Yeah. Um, and I would, I would also say, by the way, I did have them get two other students yeah. peer review first, yeah. but then also do that. I think it's a supplemental tool. Right. Um, I've gone into this school year, my mantra for this school year is we have to learn to teach this as a tool so that yeah. it doesn't drive a wedge. Right. Yeah. Uh, There was an episode of the New York Times podcast, The Daily over the summer, uh, it was talking about a history professor who had completely lost all of the relational uh, bits of teaching. And I definitely believe teaching is relational uh, because he was constantly trying to see was this discussion post written by a chatbot? Was this one yeah. written by a chatbot? And he totally destroyed his relationship with the students. I said, we can't have that. It can't be a wedge. No. Uh, it's a tool like so many others. It's a brand new one. We're not quite sure how to use it yet exactly. People are playing around and experimenting with it. Right. Um, but that's our job in education is to mm-hmm. continually evolve, as you were just saying back there.
0: Yeah.
3: So let's say a student is like using AI for like a final paper, right? They're using it unethically. How do we deal with that?
0: Well, I I think it's really class-specific, it's assignment-specific, and I think it's school-specific because the school you go to has certain policies. They might punish you from a more macro sense. Where I teach at at Tri-C, and at most colleges and universities, it's a classroom thing, it's a professorial thing. We decide. As I said backstage, my dean comes to me and says, okay, you caught him, so what do you wanna do? and I have to make that call. I think one of the things that students have to understand is that every educational setting they place themselves in, whether it's in high school, um, whether, if you, how many of you are CCPs? Are any CCPs in here? Okay, so you're college students, right? But you're also high school students, right? So you're kind of both. Um, or if you're a full college student, or if you're a graduate student, if you're beyond that, Each situation is unique and you have to be prepared as a teacher to look at that class and say, okay, these are my expectations. I mentioned backstage, I have four classes this semester I'm teaching and four distinct preps. I have two literature classes, both completely web-based. The students exist on the internet. I have to look at each of those two classes individually. Cheating in one class might not be cheating in the other, depending on what we're doing. Um, The same thing applies for the comp classes I teach a class with six students, I can rely on the fact that those students are, are policing each other. Sure. A larger class, I might not have that. Sure. So, I have to, so I think we have to understand that teachers and professors have to look at each situation unique. Now, saying that, I have policies in my syllabus, I'm very clear, if I catch you and you're trying to deceive me, um, I will throw you into the street, Not I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> you, there will be punishment. And that punishment will vary depending on what it is you've done. Now the college's position is, the professor's position is the position.
1: Yeah. I'm really trying to reframe that question. We've right. had a <laughs> lot of teachers at, at Hawken uh, ask that same thing. And I'm, I'm trying to say, that first of all, there's no way to actually tell. None of the AI detectors work. Not 100%. It, it, gi- Not, it gives you a percentage right. and those have been wrong. You can feed text from the Bible mm-hmm. into it and it will say 92% AI <laughs> dri- driven. <It's>, there's all <laughs> sorts of studies like that. So none of the detectors work. So here's what I try and do. Let's Do my absolute best to foster a love of learning a love of language a love of reading and a love of writing and if i'm doing my absolute best on that and you still want to use one of those things at that point you're cheating yourself Mm -hmm. i'm not going to be able to tell and right now by the way the best of these things right it's about a b b minus paper um one day they'll probably be better (laughs) than that Um, but then i'm also trying to say like listen if an ai can so easily answer the question we're asking maybe it's time for us to start asking more complicated questions. Right. Yeah. Maybe things they can't just generally generate. I mean, you know, an essay on the green light in Gatsby. I, I'm sorry, I love Great Gatsby. It's been written, it's been written 10 million times. Maybe it's time to move on to something a little newer, uh, something a little more nuanced, a little more complex, something that's drawing on lots yeah. of different literary traditions uh, that an AI chatbot can't
0: easily write. And if I'm doing that, then I'm not gonna worry. Right. Or you create an assignment that the students don't run to the chatbot to answer. You create, yeah. you create an assignment that the students feel is impactful for them personally, or perhaps it's impactful for a contemporary situation that, that you're addressing in the class. Um, in other words, they're writing about something contemporaneously to what you're learning in the moment. Um, there are ways to design classes where students won't feel the need to run to the outside. A lot, when Google hit, um, and I was mentioning backstage that I, I see this as like just yet another technology in the list of technologies that have arrived. When Google hit, and, I, and it literally hit, like when Google arrived, people were just copying papers and handing them into classes. Well, yeah, if you ask your students to write you know, a 250-page response to this Ernest Hemingway story that they have no connection to, that they don't care about, you've barely discussed, what do you expect them to do? I'd cheat. <laughs> I mean I'd be like, yeah, no problem. So Google we saw Google becoming a tool for for kind of weeding out the assignments that perhaps didn't have teeth, didn't have interest, you know? And I think that's that's an important th- stuff for and that, that goes back to something you're saying, right? It's like you have to create something that the students want to write about, something they want to experience. It doesn't have to be it doesn't have to be entertainment, right. but it should be something relevant i
1: think you're right that it's yes in another series of technologies mm-hmm. um we we've seen this before but i do th- i do think i would argue that it is a revolutionary technology oh it's completely in, in the way that google is a yeah. technology. there's a great 1999 interview with david bowie by the way when a bbc reporter is basically saying like well isn't the internet just like another thing like radio and david bowie's like i don't think you understand what's about to happen here yeah. this is going to fundamentally restructure society on every level and i'm pretty sure we're there again yeah. uh with, with
3: ai So when we talk about this sort of like AI revolution, how are we preparing like teachers in universities or high schools who are resorting to more traditional ways of teaching or who are like, don't wanna use AI at all? How do we prepare them?
1: Our upper school uh, head of academics uh, actually asked me to look into like, is there PD out there? Can we go to find some workshops? I found one in Australia. I don't think they're gonna send me there. But there's not a lot of good ones right now. In fact, I'm working, uh, my colleague Nick DiGiorgio uh, is here today. We're actually going to do a summer institute where we're going to do a series of workshops because I do think we need to be trained. And I think the other answer to like, how do we get them not just to use it to write a paper, is what are the steps along the way? I had a student who was really struggling with that short story with ideas. And I said, okay, like open up one of these things. Say like, I know I want to write my story here. It's set here. Here's my characters. Give me five ideas. For what could possibly happen it's not going to write your paper for you but it's just enough to like get you get you going and i think the more we learn to use it as a tool like that the less apt they are to just have it write the paper themselves
0: I th- I, my college we have a, a pretty robust faculty development program and we've had a couple seminars um, offered by other faculty members regarding ai in the classroom and how to deal with it and luckily My colleague Jason Mullen is the one who's done a lot of that, and and Jason doesn't go in. Jason's uh, as cynical as I am about this, but he's also an optimist like I am, so he goes in saying, okay, this is the problem, here's the potential, but how can we address this in a way that isn't just purely punitive? Everything you do, it can't be, it, it, everything can't be punitive, you know? It's just, it's, not, it's just not the way it works. So in our case, we do have that. And I think most colleges and universities will be developing faculty development seminars that handle this. But you're never gonna fully develop the ability to hit it because like I mentioned, I can't say mention backstage, I see addressing AI today, like driving a car off of a car lot, you, the car is now a year old and worth about 8,000 less than you paid for it. And you've driven it a block and a half, right? I think AI development's the same way. As soon as you drive it off a lot, AI is going to develop even further, and you're going to have to keep catching up to it. Right. And that's not just us; that's all of you as well. You'll be catching up to it just as much as anyone. It's, it's no one in this room is going to know AI completely, right. because AI will
3: change. So I want to follow up on the idea about like how there are like obviously ethical and good uses for AI mm-hmm. for students, but I'm wondering about teachers. So how were the advantages or disadvantages when we see AI u- being used by teachers, whereas like grading schoolwork or things like yeah. that? I,
1: I will say like, I, I would not use it to grade. No. Um, okay. I, I think that crosses a line where I'm actually getting paid to do a job. And, and that one, that, that's, that's, uh, that's a red line for me. However, uh, I had an assignment. I'm, I'm teaching this magical realism seminar. We're reading Salman Rushdie's Midnight Children. Uh, you have to know a lot of 20th century Indian history uh, to understand that novel. I've got 18 students, so I'm like, okay, they're gonna do a little share-out presentations. I'm gonna give them 18 different topics, and they're each gonna go. Now, I've read that book several times. I could go through, I could take two hours, and I could find 18 topics for it. Or, I could do exactly what I did, which is open ChatGPT, I said, hey, give me 18 events that take place in India between 1915 and 1980, inspired by the events of the novel *Midnight Children. And there it was. Uh, I did a little verifying on my own, and that was the assignment. Uh, Especially I think for teachers, I'm mostly a librarian. I only teach one class at a time, so I'm in a very privileged position. But for those teachers who are overwhelmed, who have 27 students in a class and are teaching six classes in a day, I have seen the ability to prep and lesson plan. It's absolutely incredible. And again, you want to prompt it. You always want to tell it like act as this and give me this and then focus and refine through several rounds of prompts, but it will create an entire semester's worth of lesson plans for you. How much of that you want to use is up to you, but that to me, especially if you are an overwhelmed teacher, sure. it's pretty exciting. Sure.
0: Um, I'll tell you a story. Uh, a, a colleague of ours, my friend Casey's over there, she'll she'll know the story. A colleague of ours from the Western campus discovered over the weekend that one of his students used ChatGPT to generate an entire piece of writing and hand it in on in his online class. It's a it's a web-based English class. He was then going through the responses from his from the students' cla- the students' classmates and found out that one of the students used AI to generate the response to the, yeah, right, I know. Uh, (laughs) uh, Generated an AI response to the AI piece. So, ChatGPT was talking to ChatGPT in his class, right? And my my colleague was like, what do I do? And someone offered up, well, why don't you just use ChatGPT to respond to the whole thing? And just see, and and he's like, no, I can't. Because ethically, that would be just, you know, you're not only encouraging it, but you're you're like you said, you're being paid to to respond. Sure. In my case, I don't. I teach such specific things that are that are unique to the education I received through my two times through grad school and then my undergraduate that I don't know whether or not I would be comfortable having anything generate anything for me. And in that sense, I don't think I would do what Renee's talking about, but I would say this, I have no problem with other people doing that. I just personally, I don't think I could do that. Now grading, the day that I use a ChatGPT bot of any sort to grade a paper is the day that I just walk away from education altogether. I could never do that. And it's just because that's not what I'm being paid. I'm not being paid to have a computer tell my students something, they're they're paying me to do that. That's why I'm there.
1: I totally agree with that, but I I love it. Hawken, part of our motto is forward-focused preparation for the real world. The real world is using this. Uh, My wife is a psychoanalyst. She's gonna start a private practice early next year. She has to come up with a name for it. (laughs) Hey, ChatGPT, give me 10 names for a private practice (laughs) in psychoanalysis. Gave it to me. I like four, eight, and 10. Can you refine those with a focus on this? Did, and she took one look at it and she's like that. That's gonna be my practice name. Mm -hmm. This is happening all over. This is the real world. It's the ability to offload busy work to me. I just told my students, you all have to really check with your teachers. You can't do this. Anybody here have to write an annotated bibliography? Yeah. Guess what no one in the history of humans has ever enjoyed writing an annotated bibliography. That's a lie, man. Um, So I... Guess what no one except for John has enjoyed writing? (laughs) I actually, I I really liked mine. I um, did not. (laughs) It's just summarizing things. And you should too. Um, I, my honor students have to write an annotated bibliography. Yeah. Guess what ChatGPT is really good at? Hey, can you summarize this for me in five sentences? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm actually fine with that because they're gonna demonstrate their actual knowledge when they write the paper. And the more I encourage the use of the tool, I feel like the less they're going to like just say, well, no, I'm gonna use it to just do all of the writing. So if I encourage it on the front end, like, yeah, it's great at idea generation, it's great at offloading this busy work. Now, cool, we don't have to do that. Now we can actually dig into the really intellectually stimulating part of this. Right.
3: So when we see like this like AI not being used in the right way, how are like from the teacher's perspective, are you catching that? Are you encouraging like the right use to AI?
0: Yeah. Well, I'm in a unique position because I'm a writer. So I when within a few weeks of my students writing in my class, I can usually sit down and I can copy their writing and write like them and I've I've demonstrated this in class before where I've actually written sentences in the style of of certain students, and the students in class are like pretty shocked. Now, that's a unique position because that's what I do for a living, right? So it's, but I think most professors are gonna, they're gonna look at the situation, they're gonna say, okay, this has happened, I don't quite know what to do. And I think that's really where we are with a lot of professors. Now in terms of detecting, the detectors aren't perfect, But the detectors are merely tools that allow us to be able to look at something and say, this does not look like other things you've written. It's no different than if we run it through an authenticity detector like Turnitin or something like that and we we notice that this sentence doesn't sound like you, um, you've used a word that you can't pronounce, um, things like that one of the easiest ways to te- to test students on this is just bring them into the office hold their paper in your hand and say tell me about this and when their faces go green you know they haven't produced it now it's not about embarrassing them it's about helping them understand that we're the, their bosses are going to be very smart people and they're going to pick up on stuff so they it's not that they have to hide it better <laughs> they have to actually maybe try writing it themselves. Um, that's really where I think part of the challenge of detecting comes from. But the detectors are never gonna catch up. They won't. The detectors will never catch up. I can tell you that right now. Every advancement in a detector will be offset by the advancement of the actual technology itself. It'll never catch up. Now that, that, that sounds you know depressing, but in some ways it's, it's the way all technology works.
3: Um, So we've talked about that a little bit. So now I want to move over to how it could help students again. So with students with like learning differences or disabilities, how is AI able to supplement some of those differences and how are we going to utilize that in the future?
1: This is to me one of the most exciting things. Um, The director of the Khan Academy gave a TED talk in April, Mm -hmm. uh, which means it's completely out of date by now, but um, they actually put an AI chatbot into all of their online learning modules. Yeah. Um, because they, he says in the TED talk, and I, I agree, one thing we've known as teachers for more than a hundred years is if you wanna improve learning outcomes, give them a personal tutor. Mm-hmm. Not everyone can afford a personal tutor. Uh, and personal tutors want you know get tired and wanna have lives on their weekends. Yeah. These things never get tired. It's 10 o'clock at night, you're having trouble with chemistry and balancing that mass to mole equation or something like that. Guess what? Ask one of these things. It's really good at that. It's great at math. Um, It's ChatGPT now will talk to you for, if you pay for the paid version, it will actually go back and forth with a voice with you and it will work with you and never, never lose its patience. Uh, I I think that's incredibly exciting. I think in terms of like just letting somebody, uh, building somebody up that's maybe a little farther behind, just needs a little bit more help. uh, I think that's an absolute game changer in education.
0: And the audio component obviously is good because that, that obviously addresses some learning differences, it addresses issues like yeah. that. I think anytime you talk about disabilities, you have to be talking about specific kinds, mm-hmm. whether it's ADHD or whether it's dyslexia or, the, we see these in, at the college level all the time because students get, you know, they get um, IEPs and they come in and, and we recognize that the individual students need individual work, but I don't think it's just students with learning disabilities, I think it's all students need individual care. And if you're a professor or a teacher and you're providing that individual care to each one, this tool might work for a specific student, mm-hmm. not for all students with disabilities. There might be a single student where you say, you know what, I think this might work for you. You type stuff in, it's gonna talk to you. It's gonna, you can engage with it if it's something you're comfortable with versus another student who might just literally need to go to the writing center or tutoring center mm-hmm. and have that face-to-face with a human being. There are some students who will just completely reject the idea of a computer telling it anything. You know, they're, they're gonna want a human being. And that's great. I think that's wonderful. But that human being might answer them using AI. Maybe that student uh, in, a, in a visual, they're talking back and forth, they can't answer the question. Maybe the AI can help the tutor. So I think there's gonna be integration of it, but I don't think there's a one size fits all here. Not right.
3: there right. ever is with technology. Right. So I want to follow up a little bit about that. Have you noticed trends in your classroom with using AI or any challenges with that?
1: Students are always really shocked when I tell them to use it. Um, like, I think it's that verboten thing. We were actually talking about Wikipedia yeah. and about how that was when it first came out, everybody, no, no, don't use Wikipedia. <laughs> I think Wikipedia is one of the most incredible collective How many of you use Wikipedia? How many yeah. of you use, use Wikipedia? It's amazing. It, yeah. We t- like all knowledge for free in one place with no ads yeah. um, and it's pretty accurate. I always tell them too, you have probably told, oh, you don't use it because you can change things. Go home and try and change something on a Wikipedia page, see what happens. It's not gonna, Unless you have a mountain of evidence, uh, it's not gonna stick. Um, I'll say the the trend that I'm seeing right now is one that is very predictable in history. So when search engines first came out, teachers panicked. Mm -hmm. Oh my goodness, students will be able to look things up. Like, what will we do? Turns out you can find articles when encyclopedias, encyclopedias are these things, they're books, they're bound on a shelf. Um, When encyclopedias came out, teachers freaked out. They were like, oh my gosh, students will be able to just look things up. And I think, the, the positive shift that I'm hoping is happening with each one of these little revolutions is that we are not the sole repositories of all knowledge. We are not the brilliant, you know, charismatic cult of personality stage on the stage that's just pouring our wealth of knowledge onto you so that you can then repeat it on a multiple choice test. That's old smart. There's a great book called Humility is the New Smart. Uh, and it says that model where we're just the, the absolute, you know, gods of learning on our own little fiefdoms I'm, I'm hoping is going away. And the more we allow for technologies like this, like I, I think the less we get that kind of cult of
0: personality teacher. Right. Right. Uh, I am that cult of personality. Um, I, that is in a, in a sense the way I, 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 my classes operate. Um, but I'll say this, I also teach some pretty obscure topics that the students don't come in with knowledge of and therefore um, they're like, Professor Panza, how do you read this passage of Old English from Beowulf? And I have to read it to them. Now I can get a chatbot to read it to them, but I can assure you, it will read it incorrectly. Um, now, will it eventually do it right? Maybe. Maybe it will. Yep. Maybe it will. Um, the the arrival of new technologies happens every couple of years, and people freak out, and then they 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 have TED talks, and. <laughs> And then, and then the next technology arrives and more TED Talks. You know? I, I think what we have to recognize is, is that all of this is just a progress toward some kind of new th- way of thinking about how we educate and how we're educated. Right. That doesn't mean the old ways invariably have to go away. For instance, you might think that students like digital textbooks, right? How many of you don't like digital textbooks? Now, what I would argue is, is the only reason why we have them is because publishing companies know it's cheaper. That's why you have digital textbooks. They're not better, they're cheaper. And we know that. And I think professors know that because we've seen the evolution of our textbooks. Now, how many of you like to have a physical book in your hand? Congratulations, you're all now officially medieval. Because <laughs> that take right? In a sense, we know people still like books. So we have to always balance these movements, these progressive quick movements with the with, against what people actually still kind of like right. and, and learn from and, and can learn from. I don't think this movement toward new technology has to be all-encompassing. I think we can use it and balance it. And I think when you do that, you create a better learning environment for everyone. Right. Otherwise, people just end up feeling overwhelmed. They just throw their hands up. And guess what they do? They cheat using ChatGPT because they're just throwing their hands up and saying, "Well, everyone else is doing it, I right. should too." Right. So I, I tend to I tend to kind of uh, wander between the medieval notions of you know lecture and how it operates and contemporary stuff. I try to blend the two. I think if you do that, you're safer. But, man, I, I, we had the same problem with Wikipedia. We had the same problem with the introduction of LMSs, which are learning manage- management systems like Blackboard. We had the same thing with the arrival of Grammarly. How many of you use Grammarly? Grammarly? Okay. That's AI. Um, so, you know, you know what I mean? It's right. like we just had to balance it. You got to right. keep it balanced. Right.
3: I think that's a great ending point. I'm going to hand it off to um, Sudi to finish us off.
2: Hi everyone. Again, my name is Sudi Ramesh, senior at Solon High School and president of the Youth Forum Council. Um, Today we're enjoying a Youth Forum panel discussing Rethinking Education, the Impact of AI in Schools, featuring John Panza from the Cuyahoga Community College and Rennie Greenfield from Hawken Upper School. And moderating today's conversation has been Youth Forum Council Vice President Nathan Callahan. We're about to begin the audience Q&A and we welcome questioners, everyone, City Club members, students, educators, and those of you that are joining us via our webcast. We ask that your questions be brief to the point and end in a question mark. And if you're joining us via a webcast (laughs) and would like to ask a question, please text us at 330-541-5794 and we'll ask as time allows. Holding the microphones today are Youth Forum Council members, Luke and Zoe from Solon High School and we'll take our first question.
4: Uh, good afternoon, this is a great topic. I'm so glad that we're that you're here today. Uh, I'm a member of the State Board of Education and over a number of meetings, we, we hear from Pearson uh, textbook company. Yeah. They do all the testing and everything. And for many, many years, I asked them about their bias committee and if their bias committee had had any training to find out what their own biases were, and they kept saying no. So finally, after asking them over and over again, they finally said their committee was going to actually find out what their own biases were. My question deals with AI. We have all kinds of biases. We have white supremacy. We have all kinds of divisions. Um, Some people that just don't like anybody who doesn't look like them. How can we be sure? that whatever AI is producing, I don't know if I'm using the right language, but how do you, how do you check for bias? Yeah. Uh, you know, Do you use AI to check bias for another AI? I'm, I'm not sure how you do that, <laughs> yeah. so I, that's my question.
1: I'm really glad you asked that, because like yeah. as optimistic as I am about so much of this, what really terrifies mm-hmm. me is these LLMs are only as good as what you feed it. Yeah. Um, and here's, here's my real terrifying scenario. So the state of Florida, started this school year 10,000 teachers short. Somebody there is looking at this and going like, well, is there a way we could automate this or get a computer to teach some of our students? The state of Florida has some pretty draconian ideas about gender identity and sexuality right now. Could they create, could some entrepreneurial person create an AI chatbot that completely ignores that? Or let's say, eliminates evolution from the curriculum. Uh, Mm -hmm. Or there's somebody running for school board in the state of Ohio just learned that doesn't wanna teach black history at all. Uh, could you create a large language model that just completely bypasses all of that? Yes, you could. That's, that is terrifying to me. What I'm really hopeful for is that one day, somebody is going to talk to JSTOR, EBSCOhost, PubMed, SciInfo, all of our best peer-reviewed academic literature and feed it selectively the stuff that does not reinforce white supremacy or biases against the queer community. Um, but that stuff has to be done very, very intentionally and you've really got to put guardrails on it. JetGPT will not give you Nazi propaganda. It won't won't generate that because thankfully, the people at OpenAI have basically said, no, you can't do that. There are certain keywords where it will reject that as a prompt, but there's no oversight board making them ethical. They've just decided to do that uh, and they could just as easily decide the other way. Um, I think there's a couple of things that absolutely needs to happen. The low hanging fruit right now is for our federal government to actually create uh, a standard where any AI content image uh, audio or other has to be watermarked so that it, you know that it's AI uh, and also have some basic ethical st-
0: standards and guidelines about what AI can and cannot produce. And, and I'll give you an example from one of my classes. We were reading Frankenstein and there's a whole section based on John Milton's Paradise Lost, which of course is the retelling of The Fall of Satan and Adam and Eve and whatnot. And one of my students tried using, just for, for you know experimentation purposes, tried typing the word Satan into the ChatGPT and comparing it to the creature, something the creature literally says. And ChatGPT rejected it on the basis that it will not allow for Satanist language within its, its. now here's the thing, um, John Milton is about as anti-Satan as you can possibly get. Um, and so this ChatGPT was making a judgment about something it did not understand because it was taught this very narrow notion, if 666 must be bad, if Satan must be bad, as opposed to maybe Satan as a literary character is being utilized in this piece of literature. I, the guardrails are currently being, as, as Raina said, they're just being created kind of willy-nilly, and there's gonna be a time when maybe they're not, um, maybe there's a little more um, you, know, you know, thought to it. Right now, it's just, remove certain things based on, you know, their, the, the creator's inherent biases or, or misunderstandings.
5: Yeah. Um, uh, good afternoon. Uh, thank you for having me and the students here. Uh, my name is John Morris. I'm with the Honors Fellowship Program at Tri-C Western Campus. And I have two questions, one a legal question, one to the application uh, in the classroom. And uh, so the first question is, you, s- you hinted at the ethical concerns of instructors, teachers, professors, using ChatGPT to correct the assignments that the students give you. Mm-hmm. Uh, but couldn't you say uh, students should be held to a similar standard as the instructors? Uh,
0: I, believe, I, I believe that every application of ChatGPT by a student or a faculty member needs to be scrutinized for whether it is ethical, whether it's moral or whatever. And, and, but I also think that when people are told you have to write this yourself and they don't, then that becomes a syllabus issue. I mean, that's a simple syllabus issue. Does a syllabus state you have to write everything yourself and what does it state when you do not? Um, all syllabi at our college, are required to have some kind of a plagiarism or academic dishonesty policy incorporated into the syllabus. That's a recent phenomenon at my college where that's literally being analyzed by the deans when we hand in our syllabi. Um, some are some of those policies are looser than others. It all depends on the instructor.
5: Uh, yes, sir, and just to emphasize, I'm not anti-Chat GPT. Oh, of course. Uh, but I still think it's important for students to learn how to Really express their own voice in their work. Now, for my second question is, do you think what do you think the outlook would be on the development of laws pertaining to the use of chat GPT in the classroom?
1: Wow, laws in the classroom?
5: I, I
0: well,
1: I think I maybe just antitrust laws, something like
5: that.
0: I, I'm I'm against I'm against any politician telling anyone what we do in the classroom. But well, we agree on that. One. Yeah. Um, yeah, across yeah. the board. I That's my, my simplest answer. Yeah. They are the last people on earth that you want determining what we do in a classroom.
1: Yeah. I agree with that.
0: <laughs> Did I just get fired? Or? No, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh,
3: good afternoon, Desiree Caliguar, Mayor of Cleveland Heights High School. A student yeah. has a question. I also, I'm, uh, pleased to hear that you are addressing academic freedom. Um, It's a major concern when we're taking a look at public schools here, um, contrary to public schools and also the other current events politically that are uh, being challenged as well as economically. So I appreciate the response in regards to that and the concern. However, today we do have a student who's representing the body of Cleveland Heights High School and he'd like to introduce himself and also pose a question to the panel.
0: You can feel comfortable. I'm from Cleveland Heights, and um, so is he. Also okay. from Cleveland Heights,
3: <laughs> yeah. Um, hello, everybody. My name is Judah Hunter. I'm from Cleveland Heights. So, my question is, how do you think AI will progress or change over time? I,
1: yeah, um, I, this is part of the thing that gets me so excited. And it kind of, this whole question of like, I, I, I'm uncomfortable with the word cheating. When we right. use this, because it, it has so many applications. Uh, do we have any lawyers in the room? Um, okay. Your profession's in trouble. Um, because most of it, prior, despite what we see on television, most of law as I understand it please correct me if I'm wrong is actually going through the case law uh, for a particular incident and finding out, you know based on this case law, crafting an argument. These AI chatbots are really good at that. Um, and I think in the future we're going to see more and more of that. Um, there was also, uh, through this process called diffusion, uh, which is, I, I don't fully understand it, but it basically takes this pixelated thing. It's the same thing that stable diffusion, the image generator is based on. Uh, they actually found in minutes a protein that would stop a certain amount of snake venom. Um, it, would use, it would have been, the, the person who was talking about it said, this, this would have been hundreds and hundreds of experiments done by postdocs and graduate students, it was done in minutes on a computer because of that. That's where we're headed uh so i think part of our job is to start again from a very young age yes ethically teaching them what it's for you still need to find your own voice hundred percent absolutely but also this is a real tool that is going to be used in the real world i don't think anybody would tell those people trying to find a protein to stop a snake venom that that's cheating (laughs) that's not that's just i don't think those grad students want to do hundreds and hundreds of rounds of tests to find that protein uh so that I, I think that's where we're headed. This is going to infiltrate every aspect of our life. If it's in science and it's in law like that, it's gonna be everywhere. And so from a very young age, I think we, much younger than high school, we need to start teaching where it's appropriate to use this, how it can be used as a tool, and when you need to really like
0: decide for yourself. My my daughter's 16, she's taking the SAT and ACT. Uh, they let you use calculators now, don't they? Right? Yeah. They didn't let us do that back when I graduated from high school, and I think the older folks in here would smile when I say that, because wouldn't it have been great if we could? Okay, the reason why they let you use calculators is because you'll use calculators later on, and the answers will be correct, if you know how to use the calculator properly. And that really is the key, isn't it? It's using the tool. So I, do I think AI is gonna evolve? Yes, absolutely. Do I believe it's gonna be used in applications of other classes? Yes, absolutely. In all cases, no. No one uses any calculators in my classes, but that doesn't mean that we can't use other tools. We have other tools that we utilize. So if you treat it as a tool, then yeah, absolutely. I think it'll be used.
4: Hello, hi, Professor Panza. What's up? Liz Cravania, I'm with the Cleveland State Honors College, Mm -hmm. and I have kind of a two-part question. The first one is, would you ever use ChatGPT or AI to teach Catch-22, and wouldn't that (laughs) be a (laughs) Catch-22?
0: Someone took my
4: class. (laughs) The second question is, when you're working in groups and teams, I had a situation that you helped me with, I'm in graduate school, and the question came that maybe one of the team members had used AI, yeah. which caused a great panic for me and the other team members. Yeah. How would you address that in a team situation that we're all gonna be working in when maybe one person yeah. does a lot of research and another person does a few clicks?
0: I'm happy you brought that up, it's good to see you. Um, I. When we address that situation, I remember that, because it, 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 you know, it, it really does come down to, 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 for me, two things. One, is the person not contributing in a meaningful way to the project or the discussion or whatever's happening? Is the person basically lazy? And that is unfair to the rest of the team. That's number one. Now, the other half of that is, is he doing something that the, if the others do, and it's allowed, that could make the team more effective more quickly. That's the, that's the other, but I, in your, that wasn't what was happening here. Then the, you have the discipline side. If you go forward with that and that person has done that, you run the risk of the entire team being brought down as a result. And by brought down, in a graduate sense, that could determine whether or not you graduate. Um, certain grad schools, you have to have certain grades to get through particular classes, otherwise you can't get through. So in that instance, that is a very specific instance. I think the team in that case has to be active and proactive. Um, One of the things I mentioned backstage is, I I really think that we need to stop being so nice all the time when we see people around us who might be doing something they shouldn't be doing because that situation is made worse by passive response to the activity of that individual. It doesn't have to be that way. at, at the same time, maybe that individual's figured something out that might help. I, and that, I think that will, yeah. I, yeah.
1: I'm gonna yes and that. I mean, it, those are team dynamics that everybody has to agree on. And those things have been complicated for a very long time. Students generally hate group work. Uh, and I keep making them do it because I'm like, guess what you're gonna have to do for the rest of your life? <laughs> work with people. Yeah. Um, so, but I would say like from a research side, I mean, my main job is, and I'm trained as a reference librarian. Uh, that's my degree. I have seen things from Bing's chat and search in the last week or so that lead me to believe, and again, right now, like, let's remember that these AI chatbots are as bad as they're ever going to be. They're only going to get better. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I'm out of a job in 20 years. I don't think you're going to need, like you come to me, you ask a complicated question. I read obsessively across disciplines. I read an absurd amount of news and I can usually, like I'm usually really good at knowing where to find information and pull it. I don't think you're gonna need me in 20 years. I think, I think there's going to be a chatbot that is trained on peer reviewed academic literature that has access to the internet. And by the way, that's the big difference between Bing and ChatGPT. ChatGPT now, I believe the cutoff is April of 2023. Uh, it doesn't have access to the current internet. Uh, Bing does, uh, and it runs on basically the same code because they're both open AI, Microsoft bought them. If you haven't tried it, it's incredible. And I, and I know it's weird because all of those years of like Microsoft's internet browser being terrible, internet explorer was so bad, right? Um, but now Edge, their browser is pretty good and Bing, uh, it's amazing. And and it links to sources. Uh, It actually, I had a teacher who's doing a project on the Aurora Borealis in chemistry but she also wants references to religion. That's actually a tough question, especially for 10th graders. Like I could find JSTOR articles and give them 20 uh, page peer reviewed articles but for 10th graders, that's not exactly where they're living. I got frustrated, I tried in a bunch of places, I tried the Bing chatbot, and it gave me a bunch of sources, summarized them for me, had some really good information. I'm like, could you give me 10 examples from cultures all around the world? All right there, all linked to sources from articles like the Smithsonian and Forbes, all trusted, reliable news sources. That part's amazing. So in that case, if you're a team member and your job is to do research, you're working smarter.
0: Now I can add to that though, you will have a job in 20 years and here's why. I remember back in 1996 or seven, one of my professors at John Carroll um, told me, he goes, you know, these, uh, these electronic books, we're not going to have paper books in 20 years. We're not, no more paper books, it's going to all be electronic. Well, guess what? He's no longer alive and books still are. So <laughs> guess who won? Um, <laughs> The fact is, is that books are still with us, aren't they? And when I asked that question before, how many of you use books? I looked at the ages of people. I know you, we have 14, 15, 16-year-olds saying, I would rather have a book in my hand. So yes, the technology will be there, but guess what? Librarians will still be too. Because in reality, the technology will do what it does, but I still think you need a guiding hand. And that guiding hand is a human being. And people still want to see a face and talk to a librarian. Now.
1: I would love for that to be true. I really would. First of all, they will be able to see a face. It'll just be a fake one. Um, It'll be some kind of digital projection. You ever use that at
0: the Cleveland Clinic? It's creepy. They got rid of them actually, so, but yeah. The technology's
1: not there yet. Hey, the the Tupac hologram is what? 20 years old now or something like that. (laughs) Um, They'll get better. Uh, some of the AI-generated images that I'm seeing are absolutely stunning. Yeah. Uh, by the way, if you ever want to hear Hank Williams singing Down With The Sickness or Freddie Mercury doing uh, Let It Go from Frozen, you can do that because they have the voices of waveform. <laughs> um, oh, yeah, look those up. They're or great. Or Schwarzenegger singing yeah. uh, Hills Are Alive with the Sound of yes. Music. Yes. Um, those are a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, but you will absolutely be able to have something that looks and sounds like a human that you don't have to pay a salary. Mm-hmm. Pub- libraries are still publicly funded and I would love to believe that we will never you know not do that but if a library can save sixty thousand dollars a year yeah. uh, of salary and benefits it absolutely will for somebody that doesn't take breaks or need vacation or take personal days yeah. um, I hope you're right but I think in 20 years uh, you probably w- will well not I see will
0: I won't there. be here but if you want to make a hundred dollar bet on that no, right now um, right, sure. my estate will cover you okay. for a hundred dollars
1: <laughs> right, we'll, we'll okay. meet back here
0: awesome yeah my, my hologram will be here, yeah. That's i re- I'm sorry, that's a reference, don't worry about it, it's an old reference. Yeah. Next question. <laughs>
2: um, hi, um, I'm a freshman from Solon High School. Yeah. Um, I'm in Song Hong, I'm also in the Youth Forum Council. My question is, do you think that AI has the same ability to be creative and generate ideas, which is an ability that we've previously only attributed to humanity? Do you think that AI can do that in the same way that people can?
1: I, not generative AI. No. The stuff that we've been talking about, those large language models that are just trying to predict based on all the data they've scraped, no, actually they won't. General AI? I just read something this morning from Nature that they've created an actual, um, uh, I don't I'm trying to, I'm, the, the word's escaping me here, uh, a neural net, uh, an actual like AI that's work, brain works just like human beings. Um, that kind of stuff? Yeah, probably.
0: No. <laughs> okay.
5: Okay. <laughs> okay. Next okay. question.
3: Um, my name is Kyle Williams, and I go to MC Dem High School, and I wanted to know about what do you think about people who d- use AI as kind of like a stepping stone when it comes to writing an essay. What I do sometimes is I write what I want to write about like in one sentence as, I mean, into chat GPT, yeah. and it sends me back a full paragraph, and I pick little parts about that paragraph and paraphrase them into what I would want them to be used. So that's, well, I guess my first question, and I have a question that piggybacks off of that. What do you think of people using that in medical um, studies, engineering studies, you know, important, very important things. <laughs> <laughs> so we've gone from the composition class to
0: cancer care, you know, yeah. <laughs> okay. Let me start with cancer care. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I know doctors, who are experimenting with generative AI to see about like the direction a patient's health could possibly go. Uh, and, and And I've talked to doctors about this and they are extremely cautious about it because of hallucination problems with generative AI where it hallucinates answers when it doesn't know something, it will just fabricate an answer. Now obviously for cancer care, that's not really good, right? Mm -hmm. At the level of composition, you know, I'm a firm believer that it's in you and you don't need a computer to make it happen. I'm a firm believer in that and because I've seen it for years before the arrival of AI. In other words, my students' papers today, supplemented by AI are no better than the papers were 20 years ago when they didn't have AI. Mm -hmm. And that's because ultimately, It comes from inside you, and it doesn't mean it's bad, it just means it's you, it's it's you, and I'd rather see you. Now, does that mean that you couldn't use it as a tool to help you get over the hump on a topic? Let's say for Catch-22, you don't understand chapter 24, and you type it in, you ask a question, and it gives you a little bit of an insight? That's great, I think that's awesome. Now, do I believe you should be paraphrasing that language and putting it into a piece of writing, From my perspective the answer is no I don't think you should be doing that and that's because the computer has essentially generated the writing you're lifting the words if you're lifting the words and you don't acknowledge that to your teacher you might get away with it now but in college you get caught doing that and a professor might run you from the class so what happens in high school versus what happens at at, at the four-year school situation could be radically different so be careful Mm -hmm. be careful use it to generate the idea Make sure the writing is your own. I think that's a perfect balance. That, that to me, strikes me as a good use of the tool. Now. I, I
1: think checking in with your teacher is always great. Yeah. Um, we didn't sign up for these jobs for the fabulous salaries or the fame that it provides us. I uh, did. We love having conversations with young people. Uh, I think as long as you're checking in with your teacher. Uh, but also, like I'll say, personally, I'm a verbal processor. I have a buddy, uh, he works in coding, by the way, and uses GPT-4 all the time to correct his code. Um, yeah don't go into coding, it's not a good field right now. Um, I, I call him up sometimes when I just need to talk through an idea and I, I start talking and he'll kind of like, he'll respond or he'll throw in a question or anything like that. I think if you're using one of these LLMs for something like that, great. I mean, again, check in with your teacher first, but just to say, hey, I have some ideas. I don't quite know where they're going. Um, I, I wanna use this and especially as these things become way more conversational, uh, I think that's a great use. And, but when in terms of the, of the medical stuff, I've read stuff from people who are super excited. They're they're already reading CT scans better than humans are. Uh, I've seen some things that, like, the future of cancer treatment is absolutely not treating cancer, but treating your specific cancer cancer. and basically using it to target the exact mutation Mm -hmm. that you've had. I think that stuff is going to be absolutely
0: revolutionary. And when it happens, it's going to be big. It'll be big.
3: I'm Ishan Kosuraju, a sophomore at Solon High School and a member of the Youth Forum Council. Uh, before I ask my question, I was told to let everyone know that this is gonna be the last question. And my question is, do you think AI is removing the ability of students to think critically in the school setting?
1: No, no, no. <laughs> I, 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 I think that's definitely like, that's, that's our job, that's, that's why I get up in the morning, is to foster that love of learning and curiosity Uh, I I don't think that's ever gonna go away. I think you, you, and not every teacher connects with every student, um, but hopefully you at least find some, and I can name off the top of my head five or six uh, people that have just absolutely fostered a love of learning and curiosity in me and critical thinking, and I I don't think that's going away anytime soon.
0: No, it's not. I had a, um, I'll leave you with this. Um, When I, um, my first class in college, um, I had a professor, Margaret Berry, who was about this tall and she wore go-go boots and she was like 80 years old. (laughs) She was amazing. And she um, took my first essay I turned in and uh, she took a black Sharpie. She crossed out two thirds of the essay. And she used a Sharpie because it covered up the words and I couldn't read them. They were gone. She essentially annihilated those words. And she wrote verbal fat like my it was like my, my essay was a steak and she's just gonna like slice off the fat and i realized now that dr barry did something that ai can't do dr barry subtracted to create something positive ai doesn't subtract ai currently adds it's just that's what it does she reduced something and made it better. Now, any of you know anything about poetry? You know anything about writing? Subtraction is how you get to the end, not addition. You remove things to leave what is best. I think that's something that I think human beings do better than AI at this point. At this point. Yeah. Now that could change tomorrow. Mm-hmm.
6: Everyone, My name is Shreya Chelu, and I'm a junior at Beechwood High School and the Communications and Outreach Coordinator for the Youth Forum Council. Thank you for joining us at the City Club of Cleveland for our Youth Forum Council panel on Rethinking Education, the Impact of AI in Schools. Thank you again to our panelists John Panza and Rennie Greenfield for being here today. I would like to recognize all the schools that we have represented in the room today. Solon High School, Beechwood High School, Cleveland Heights High School, Charles W. Brosh High School, Wycliffe Upper School, and University School. We would also like to thank Cuyahoga Community College and the Northeastern Ohio Education Association for being at, in attendance with us here today. Last but certainly not least, we would like to give a very big thank you to our sponsors, the George W. Codrington Charitable Foundation, AT&T, Martha Holden Jennings Foundation, and the Doris C. Michalski Trust and a special shout out to Nordson who is joining us today for your continued support of the Youth Forum Council and student programs here at the City Club of Cleveland. If you enjoyed today's Youth Forum, we invite you to join us for our next Youth Forum on November 14th about the new college process with speakers Shauna Bonner from Shaker Heights High School and Christina Sanchez-Wayton from Cleveland State University. Educators, if you are interested in bringing your students to this forum, please contact Miss Ariana Smith to reserve a table for your class. That brings us to the end of this forum today. And thank you so much to the panelists, and thank you, ladies and gentlemen. This forum is now adjourned.
1: Hey, for
4: information
0: on upcoming speakers awesome. or for podcasts for of the City really Club, go yeah. to CityClub.org.